Amen. I'm excited about this message. You know, I, I, I kind of, you know, every week, and I kind of say this, you know, when, we, when I do a message, you know, you got the Bible before you, and there's 66 books in the Bible, and obviously there's a lot of things you could preach about. There's all kind of stuff to preach about, and you'd be surprised as much as there is to pick from how difficult it is to, to find something. It's just, it's hard, it's hard to explain, but I'm always sensitive to speak a word that I believe is a now word. In other words, a word that I believe God wants for his church now. And there were some other things I was torn with, and God just kept, you know, he kind of downloaded this in my spirit and then just kind of kept bringing that up. And it's like, okay, Lord, I, I know this is what you want me to say. And, and it's kind of funny. I was kind of putting, putting the pieces of it together yesterday when the LSU game was playing. And you, you'll see when you see the game, I'm like, but when you see the message, it's like the opposite of the LSU game. It's like if you watch the game, it's kind of what we expected, but it wasn't what we were hoping for. You know, we were hoping that it wasn't going to be like that. And um, so anyway, but but I'm excited to, to do this. It's always exciting to come before you and, um, you know, present the word of God. You know, and I, I've said this before. I have the privilege of just being a, a mouthpiece. I'm just a, a, a instrument, you know, just a, a messenger you know, the word of God is there for us, and God's just looking for voices. He's looking for people who were willing to speak the truth of what the word of God says. So as a pastor, it's a privilege. I mean, I, it's, a, it's an honor to do it, and um, there's no apologizing for it. It's not, it's not my words. It's, it's God's, and, and you speak it, you know, with clarity, and you, you speak it with boldness, and um, it's exciting. So Hallelujah. The Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And, you know, I can look at my life, and I can be honest with you all, this message that I'm going to speak is really, you know, the Lord has already really spoken it to me first. And that's really true in every message that God gives me. It's something that God's already speaking to me. But the Bible says, rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I say rejoice. And, you know, a lot of times, if I'm honest with myself, I can look at my life as a Christian and even observing other Christians, and I don't always see that rejoicing necessarily. You know, it's, and, 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 and you look at that, and you just scratch your head, even for me as a, as a pastor and as a Christian, what, what is it that's, that's stopping me from doing that? And, you know, I don't believe that God expects us to jump up and down, you know, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, but I do think that the Bible tells us that there should be some presence of joy and, 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 and celebration and enthusiasm in our life, that, that as a believer, that, you know, that, that is expected for us. And, um, you know, that, that there should be an expression of joy and contentment that is evident in the life of every believer. And um, so a lot of times, and, and I'm, I'm really big on this, and sometimes I just want to, like, try to say everything in one message, and I know I can't, but I believe if believers really, truly comprehended what it was that God has done for them, then joy would be natural. It would be, it would be automatic. And, and, I, and I'm guilty of this as, as much as anybody, that we really don't ponder and really, you know, saturate in what it is that God has done for us. And it's obvious when you read the Bible in the Old Testament and the New Testament, they had a deep revelation and understanding of Jesus like they knew what God who God was and what it was that God had done for them so I think it's important for us as believers to really you know understand and comprehend you know what it is that God has done for us 
And just as Antoine said, you know, we, we celebrated communion. We remembered what it was that God has done for us. And An Antoine was right. You know, we celebrate Christmas, but I don't think most people realize the Christmas story is connected to the cross. And, and Jesus was born to die. That sounds cruel, but that's, the, that's a fact. He came to die. He, he, he was the Lamb of God, the Bible says. So, But I think if we look and see what the Lord has done, if you sit back and look what God has done, then I believe there'll be that joy, there'll be that, that excitement and that enthusiasm that, God, that I believe God wants for every believer. Psalms 40, uh, David said, he said, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. He lifted me out of the pit of despair, out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on solid ground and steadied me as I walked along. He has given me a new song to sing, a hymn of praise to our God. Many will see what he has done and be amazed. They will put their trust in the Lord. Now look, what, look what David said here. You know, David said, I waited patiently for the Lord to help me, and he turned to me and heard my cry. The Lord, the Lord heard David's cry. See, we were desperate. We, we are desperate for God, and God answered our desperate condition. God, God heard our cry, and God, God answered us. And look what David said. He goes, he lifted me out of the pit of despair. How many people have been lifted out of the pit of despair? I mean, God, God did that. You know, God, look, I love the description, out of the mud and the mire, the, 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 the place where you were stuck and you were, you, you were in the mud and in the mire. And what did David say? He lifted me up and he set my feet on solid ground. Amen. On the rock. Guess what the rock is? The rock is Jesus. He set my feet on solid ground. I, I, I love that. And uh, see, we, we were living aimlessly and the Lord made our paths. He said he steadied. He steadied me as I walked along. The, the Lord steadied, steadied, his, steadied his path. And so, but I believe, and, and I think you'll identify with this when I say this, that there's a, there's a grip on the church in the sense that there is, there is something that is trying to prevent the church from expressing what it is that God has done for us. There, there's something that wants to, that wants to hold us back from from living and expressing to God all that it is that God has done for us. There, there, are, there are things that are trying to stop the church, but I believe even as the church is living and operating and doing what the church is called to do, there is something that's trying to oppress us, prevent us from living the life and the joy that God has called us to live. I don't think I'm alone with that. I think all of us, if we were honest, would say that there's times in my life where I feel hindered or I feel hemmed in and I, I don't always feel free to express what it is that God that God has done for us. And um, there's a, it's it's a grip to silence the church, to try to to try to keep us from expressing the joy and the truth of what God has done for us. And one of the one of the things that that's difficult in Christianity is a lot of people associate Christianity with emotion. And, and there is emotion involved in that. But if you read the Bible, I don't see any emotion. The only thing I find is truth. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, and the truth shall set you free. He didn't say, you shall know a feeling, or you shall know a religion, or you shall know an emotion. Jesus said, you shall know the truth, 
and the truth shall set you free. So a lot of uh, Christians equate their relationship with Christ with emotions, and so if they don't feel the emotion, then God must not be there. It's not based on emotion. It's based on truth. This is the truth. And I've said this before. It's not true because you believe it to be true. It's true whether you believe it or not. It doesn't matter whether you believe it. It's true. The world says, well, that's, people say, well, that's what you believe. No, that's what God says. It's the truth. That's what it is. So, so again, that, those, those are things I believe that we need to understand. But, but there is a grip on the church, and y'all have probably heard this expression, um, the, the cat got your tongue. You ever heard that? Does anybody know what that means? I didn't know what it meant, so I, I Googled it. That's what you do. You, you Google stuff. <laughs> And it's not what you think. And, and for those of y'all who don't know this, I happen to like cats. I, I like, we don't have a cat now. We had cats. The worst cat I ever had was the cat that my son and Haley get, gave us. They, they walked in, it was, I think it was Christmas Eve, I guess, and they walked in with a bag. And I'm like, oh, that's nice. They, they got us a gift. Well, the bag started moving. I'm like, that's not the kind of gift I want. I'm here to tell you it's the worst cat I ever had. I'm not exaggerating when I tell you that his name was Rocky. He was terrible. The only time that Rocky was friendly was when you fed him. That was it. Other than that, he was, he, he was terrible. But, but you've heard the expression, the cat got your tongue. And really what that's taken from, if this is accurate, it's taken from the us, from the sailors. And it's supposed that sailors were on ships. And if there was a sailor that was told a secret, he was sworn to secrecy not to reveal what that secret was. And if he, if he did reveal the secret, there was like a cat of nine tails with a whip that was made that he would be flogged with if he revealed that secret. So the, the saying goes, he was the fear of the cat, the, 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 the cat, you know, being whipped with the thing was, was, was kept his tongue silent. So you, the cat's got your tongue is what that is. But I believe the devil's got your joy. The devil's got our joy. And so we're going to put the devil on notice today that he's not welcome anymore to steal our joy. That, that he's not going to do that. And I believe God hopefully is going to take us to another level of, of our enthusiasm and our joy in the Lord. But there is, an, there is a, a spiritual attack on the church. There, you've, you've heard me say that. The Bible makes it clear. In Ephesians chapter 6, it says, For our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And, you know, my wife and I talk about this all the time. When you look at the world and the governments of the world and the world systems, you can see that, that, that evil is pervasive, that deception is pervasive, and that there's forces that are operating in those things that, 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 are, that are causing those things to do that. But the, the Bible says that a struggle isn't against flesh and blood. It's against those evil forces. So there are evil forces and, and powers in this dark world that are against us. Make no mistake about it. It's not a Republican, Democrat thing, a conservative, liberal. It's, it's, they're against the church. They're not against someone who has religion. They, if you notice, they, the, the world is fine if you have a religion. What they don't want you to do is start preaching Jesus. Don't, don't start preaching a religion that says it will change my life. That, that, what do I say, the power, they have the religion, but they deny the power. Don't start talking about the Holy Spirit and Jesus and the cross and all those different things. They are opposed to those things. So um, the, the, Bible, the, the Bible says 
that we are living in an in a anti-Christ society, that they're opposed to Christ, they're, they are opposed to the church. So these forces are working to silence the joy and enthusiasm of the believer. In other words, it's like there's an oppression, and, and, and it is against you, and it is against me as Christians for what we stand for in, in Jesus Christ. And um, Jesus said in John chapter 10, the thief comes not, the, the thief does not come except to steal and to kill and to destroy. I have come that they might have life and they may have it more abundantly. So I titled the message today, Living the Abundant Life. Living the Abundant Life, and some translations say, and that they may have life to the full. Now, when Jesus said, I have come to give you life, he wasn't talking about physical life, right? Why? We have physical life. We, we, we are alive. We were alive when, when Jesus came. We're, we, we were alive before we were born again. We have physical life. What Jesus was talking about is the life that's only found in him, the, the life that only Christ can give us that's, that has a life of meaning, has a life of purpose, has a life of significance. It's the, it's the, it's the only life that really matters. So apart from Christ, we might be breathing physically, but we're dead spiritually. We have no life. We're, 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 we're like walking dead people when we walk around. So Jesus, Jesus said, I have come that they might have life and they might have it more abundantly. How many of y'all want the abundant life? I, I want the abundant life. And I, I, wanna, I don't just want the abundant life on Sunday mornings for an hour and a half or two hours. I want the abundant life seven days a week. That's what God wants for us. You know, this is exciting and we should, you know, the enthusiasm in here should be, it should happen. This should almost be, you know, this is like what, we, what should be expected when we, when we come together. But we, we should also expect that when we leave the room and we go into our world, our workplace, our homes, our, our schools, all those different things that, that, that we are living in the fullness of what Christ has done for us. So let's, let me ask you, and just be honest with yourself, because I had to ask myself these questions. Are you experiencing the abundant life that Christ has for you? Can, can you can just ask yourself that? I'm, am I experiencing that? Do you want to enjoy the full life that Jesus has for you? Some people might say, well, I, I don't even, it doesn't matter whether I have it. To me, it matters. I want it. Do you, do you want it? Do you believe that there is something preventing you from experiencing this life continually? Is there something in your life that you believe is stopping you or preventing you from experiencing that joy? And I, hopefully we're going to identify some of these things, some of these things this morning. But see, God, God is not seeking to give us a false counterfeit joy. He doesn't want a fake joy where we, where we just pretend that we're happy. No, God wants to give us a real genuine joy, a real genuine expression. Look what God has done. This what da just like David said, he lifted me out of the mud and the mire. He set my feet on, on solid ground. A, a real genuine joy of what, of what it is that God, that God has done for us. So um, today I want to look at the things that, that, that may be keeping us from experiencing this abundant life. And as we identify them, hopefully we can begin to release some of these things. And say, say tell, tell the devil and tell the world and tell the flesh, these things aren't welcomed in my life anymore. That, that today they're going to stop and they're not going to prevent me from expressing who I am 
in Christ and live in the life that God has called us to live. See, I want this church to be an abundant church, to experience the abundant life of Christ. Because why? If, if you are experiencing the abundant life that Jesus called you to live, guess what? That, that's contagious. Especially in this world that we're living in where everybody's so depressed, they, they, they're so down, they're, you know, everybody's just, woe is me, and so oppressed. But man, you start living the abundant life, and again, not a fake joy, but a real, genuine expression of contentment and peace, that someone's going to take notice of you. And they're, hopefully they're going to ask you, what, what is it with you? What, and then that, that's a door to just begin to share with them, look what God has done. And that same Jesus that saved me, he can touch your life. He can change your family, change your marriage, change your, change your children. So, so I want us to experience the abundant life. And, and you need to tell yourself, I'm not going to settle for anything less. I'm not settling. This is what God has got for me. This is what I want to do. So the first thing I want to do is I'm going to expose the obstacles that, that and again, these aren't all of them, but I believe these are some of the biggest things that, that stand in the way, of, that prevent us from expressing and experiencing the abundant life that, that, God, that God has for us. The first one is in Romans 3.23. It says, For all have sinned, and fall short of the glory of God. So the biggest obstacle is sin. And some of you might think, well, that, that's obvious, but I don't think we really understand the, the barrier that sin, that sin causes, that causes in our life and the, the way it, the, it prevents us from expressing what it is that God, that God has done for us. See, the Bible says that sin is falling short of God's way for us to live. It's missing the mark. It's it's fallen short of what God's plan and design is for us to live. So it's not, sin is not just doing something bad. It's going against God's nature. And remember, what is God's nature? He's holy. He's, he, God does not know sin. He's, he's, he's completely void and separated from sin. It's not, it's not in his nature. It's, he can't, God cannot sin. It, it's apart from, so when sin entered the scene, the first thing that sin did was what? It separated. It brought, it brought a huge divide. And, and God, the holy God, and a sinful man. And there's, there's a divide in between. Man attempts to get back to God. And how do we attempt to get back to God? Religion, good works, uh, you know, do all those things. Those, those good works aren't wrong, but they're wrong when they become the bridge that you're using to get back to God. It's not by works, the Bible says. So, so sin, sin separates. When Adam and Eve sinned in the Garden, of, the Garden of Eden, what did they do? They hid. Why? Because they, they knew all of a sudden that they, was, they were separated from God. They felt, they felt exposed. They felt their shame. They felt their guilt. Sin, all of a sudden, when, when sin came on the scene, then they realized they were, they, were, they were different. They were separated from who God was, and they hid themselves. So sin causes separation. The other thing that sin causes is, is uh, condemn, condemnation. Um, the Bible says whoever believes in Christ is not condemned, and whoever does not believe stands condemned already. So the Bible says if we reject Christ, we will remain in our condemned condition. That's what sin does. Sin, sin condemns us. And then sin brings guilt and shame. Um, Y'all know the story of David and Bathsheba in the Old Testament? Uh, what, what happened when, when, when the prophet Nathan confronted David? 
what did, what did David do? He felt guilt and shame for his sin, and he said he knew that God had sinned against you and against you alone. So, so sin seeks to separate, it seeks to condemn, it seeks to bring guilt and shame. But then the final thing of sin, the biggest thing, is sin brings death. That, that, that's the ultimate goal of sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death. Or the, another way of saying it is the payment for sin or the, the consequence of sin. Those, if you remain in your sinful condition, then the end result is death. You, you, you're separated from God, but not just in a temporary sense. You're permanently separated from God. So our sin nature as a whole separates us from the Lord, but even as believers who have Christ in our hearts can still experience sin. In other words, we're not, we're not perfect. I wish we were, but all of us in this room, I think you would confess that even after you became a believer, you did not live a perfect life. And so we need to be aware of those sins that want to creep in. Why? Because those sins will separate us from God. They will rob us of our joy. They will, they will steal from us that expression that God wants for his church, that, that abundant life that, that God that God has for us. So, um, you know, I believe all of us in this room, including myself, can identify at least one thing in our life that is probably not of God that is preventing us from experiencing the fullness that God has for us. And, and that's between you and God, but that's something that God wants us to, to release and expose. Why? So we can experience the fullness, the fullness of that God has for us. So, the next thing is found in James chapter 1, verse 2. It says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds. So the next thing that, is, that will cause a barrier is trials. Trials will, will um, cause a barrier. And notice what the Bible says. It says, not if you face trials, whenever you face trials. And if you've been saved long enough, you know trials are coming. There's going to be trials that are going to come into your walk. And um, they, they, they are, they are if, if they're not looked at properly, they, they will rob us and keep us from the joy that God, that, that God has for us. If we are not careful, our trials can, can become bigger than our God. They can become bigger than our God, and they can begin to rob us of our joy. And my wife and I, as, as pastors, we, we see that in, in the lives of, of, of believers. We we recognize the trial and the, the thing that that believer was dealing with, and, and we, it, it grieves our heart to see that trial overwhelming their walk in Christ. And it begins to consume them and just to draw them away from their joy. So, so we, have, we have to be aware of, of, of the trials that, that are in our lives. The trials are coming. They're, they're going to come. James says when, whenever, whenever they come, the, the, the trials are going to come. We've experienced trials in our life. I've shared those, you know, with, with, with Lee and my, my son Joshua, and I'm experiencing those now with, with my two daughters, that, that, that things that, that we're going through. And um, so they're coming. But the, 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 the thing for the believers, how do you handle the trials when they come? How, how do you handle that? They cannot become bigger. They can never become bigger than our God. Then the Bible says in 1 Peter chapter 5, verse 8, it says, be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion uh, looking for someone to devour. 
So the next thing that's going to prevent you from experiencing the abundant life is the devil, is, is Lucifer, is, is, is the devil. Peter says, be alert and of sober mind, your enemy. Peter said, your enemy. Your enemy is not your spouse. For those of y'all who are married, I'm here to tell you that. Your enemy is the devil. The devil is your enemy, and he's opposed to the church. He's against those of us who take a stand and say, I believe in Jesus Christ. I've surrendered my life to him. You are his number one target. He, 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 he is all guns waiting back. That's what he's doing. He's seeking, the Bible says, like a roaring lion to come after those who are believers. The Bible says that the devil is a liar. Did you know that Satan is a liar? Satan is a deceiver. He is opposed to everything that God has for us. He, everything that God has for you, the devil is opposed to those things. And he is lurking and waiting for an opportunity to pounce on us with any given, any door, any way, any opportunity you give him, the devil is waiting to take hold of you and to overcome you. And um, then in 1 John chapter 2, verse 16, it says, For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life comes not from the Father, but from the world. So the next thing we see that is a preventer is the world. And, and again, that's the, when we say the world, it's the systems of the world. It's the thinking of the world, the mindset of the world, the love of the world. Just like the Bible says, the pride of life, the lust of the eyes, all the things that the world has, they, they are going to pull you down if, if, you're, if, you don't, if you're not sensitive and aware of its, of its desires to do that. And again, we're living in an anti-Christ world. This world is opposed to us and opposed uh, to the church and anyone who stands, stands for, for Jesus Christ. And, you know, as soon as you stand up and get excited for Jesus, the world is right there to sit you back down. You know, that's the opposition that we face. That's the, that's the grip, if you will, that, 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 that the world has on us. As soon as you want to get excited for Jesus, the world's like, sit down and shut up. But it's like we sang that song, we won't be quiet. We're not going to be quiet, and we're going to, we're going to talk about that in, in a second. But we have to be aware of the systems and the ways of the world and how it's trying to rob us and, and pull us down. And then in Romans chapter 8, verse 13, it says, For if you live according to the flesh, you will die. So the, the, the next thing is the flesh. And see, and Brother Rod Aguiloyd said this, and it's so true. When we get saved, your spirit man gets saved, but your flesh doesn't get saved. This disgusting flesh is still hanging around. That's why the Bible says, put to death the desires of the flesh. Jesus said what? Take up your cross daily. You got to crucify yourself. Crucify the flesh. Your flesh is opposed to Christ. It's opposed to the spirit that's in you. And unfortunately, it's with you everywhere you go. That stinking flesh is right there, so what do I do? I have to suppress the flesh. I have to put the flesh to death. Uh, put, put, put it down, the, the, the Bible says. But, but if you are having a difficult time expressing what it is that God has done for you in Christ, you may not have to look any further than yourself. And it could be your flesh, your own very flesh that is robbing you and preventing you from expressing the joy and the abundant life that God has for us. So, amen. So now we're going to look 
you, know, you might be thinking, you know, at this point, where's the abundant life? Well, I'm going to show you what the abundant life is. The, I had to spell all these things out to show you what it was that was preventing that, but now we're going to take the word of God and we're going to bring every one of those things down in Jesus' name. Because the Bible says that God has conquered everything that is opposed to us. Every single thing that it stands opposed to us, the Bible said has been, has been conquered in Christ Jesus. So we want to live in the truth of what the word of God says. So this is what the word of God says in Isaiah 1.18. It says, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. Though they are red like crimson, they shall become like wool. So the first thing we see is our sin is removed. Your sin is removed. That's what the cross did for us. That's what we remember today when we celebrated, when we celebrated communion, that the Bible says in Christ our sins have been, have, have been removed as far as the east is from the west. Jesus bore our sins on the cross. That alone should be something that should make you jump and shout every day of your life. That the thing that held you captive, the sin that, that held us bond, in bondage, the Bible says, the Bible says in Christ we have now been set free from the chains of sin. That in Christ we are no longer bound by sin. The Bible says the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God, the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. See the exchange God takes our sin, and guess what we get? Eternal life. Thank you, Jesus. See, that, that, should be, that should be joy. Just like that song said, there's joy in the house. Why? Because our sins have been removed. Our, our sins have been taken on the cross. And when you think of your sin, you gotta, you got to picture yourself as if you were in a courtroom, and you were the one that was, you, you were the guilty one. You, you were sentenced. You, you were guilty in the courtroom. You were sitting there, and your punishment was, was death row. You, in other words, you, you were convicted for life, and your, your sentence was death. And that was what you deserved. There was, there was no way you could defend yourself. There was no way. But all of a sudden, someone walks into the courtroom and says, guess what? I'll defend him. I'll defend her. I'll stand as an advocate in their place. Guess who that defendant was? It's Jesus Christ. Jesus is the advocate. He's the one that bridged the gap. That, 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 that divide that was between a holy God and a sinful man, the cross bridged the gap. Now the Bible says the two, we have been reconciled to God, the Bible says. See, if you don't understand what God has done for you, you won't rejoice in what it is that God has done. We were dead in our sins, church. And the Bible says that God made a way for us through Jesus Christ, that for God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his one and only son, that whosoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. That's us. So thank you, Jesus. That's the abundant life. So what is it that's preventing you from expressing that joy? What is it that's stopping me? We need to know that. That God, remind me, Holy Spirit, birth something inside of me that just shows me every day, God, I'm free of my sin in Jesus. Not because of any good that's in me. I don't deserve anything that God has done for us. It's all in Christ. Your sin has been removed. I love that. That's of course we sang. Come now. No, words, let us, let us talk about this. Let us reason this thing out. Though your sins are like scarlet, they shall be as white as snow. No, words, though your sins are there and they stand as a barrier, the Bible says God will remove them and they shall become as white as snow. 
Come now, let us, let us talk, let us, let us, come now, let us reason together, says the Lord. Look what God has done. Look what God has done. See, the world, the, the devil, all of us, they, they do not want you concentrating on the cross. They want you thinking about the world's ways and the world's things. And it's, it's a spirit of oppression, church, I'm telling you. And God wants to lift off that oppression off of you so that we can rejoice in Jesus. Live the abundant life that God has called us to live. I want to walk in that every day of my life and thank Jesus for what he's done. In Exodus chapter 12, this one on the screen, I think, Lori, you have that. And I'm going to read it. This is, the, this is the original celebration of what we did with communion. This was the Passover. It says, on that same night I will pass through Egypt. This is before the Passover. When, when, the Jews, when the Jews slaughtered the lamb and they were freed from Egyptian bondage, this is what God told them before the lamb was even slaughtered. On the same night I will pass through Egypt and strike down every firstborn of both people and animals, and I will bring judgment on all the gods of Egypt. I am the Lord. The blood will be a sign for you on the houses where you are, and when I see the blood, I will pass over you. No destructive plague will touch you even when I strike Egypt. This is the day you ought to commemorate for the generations to come to you. You shall celebrate it as a festival to the Lord, a lasting ordinance. God told the Jews all the way back before the first lamb was ever slain that after I do what I'm about to you, what he did, he said, celebrate. Remember and celebrate what it is I'm going to do for you. Church, we need to celebrate the death of Jesus and the salvation that God has done for us. It says it, it is a festival, a lasting ordinance, not just for the Jews, for us who are Christians. Celebrate. And yes, we, you know, we, we celebrate communion, but I, I bet you when those Jews got together and they did it, they celebrated for weeks. It was a festival. And they got together when they ate and they, they, they gathered together and that there was, I bet you there was a lot of joy in that room because they were remembering that God delivered them from Egyptian bondage. Well, guess what? You've been delivered from Egypt too, but your Egypt was sin. Your Egypt was death. And thanks be to God that Jesus Christ has delivered us. We are no longer slaves, the Bible says. We are children of God. How much more should we celebrate what God has done for us? Celebrate, church. There should be joy in the house, rejoicing, what is it that's stopping me from getting excited about Jesus? It's powers and principalities. We come against them in Jesus' name. We put that down. We've exposed it now. Then, then the Bible says, um, the, the, the Bible says in Romans 8, 28, it says, for we know that for those who love God, that's us, if you're a Christian, all things work together for good for those who are called according to his purpose. That takes care of the trials. That says that the trials are working on my side. That, the, that, God, that the God says all things. Everything that is happening in your life is, is, is for God's purpose for those who live according and love God. I can look back and I can see that every single thing in my life that was a trial, that was a hardship, that that was confusing, that didn't make sense, I can look back and I can see God's hand in every one of them. That God was putting together, he was painting this beautiful portrait that I could have never painted myself. And I look back and I look at the pictures and say, God, that's what you did. You were taking all of those things that I was dealing with and this is the picture that you were, that you were putting together. So church, you can rejoice even in your trials. That what, 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 what did James say? It, build, it builds perseverance. 
It's, it's building a desire and a hope in God, a trust in God. So even in your trials, God, God is working. And then in Colossians chapter 2, verse 15, it says, God stripped the spiritual rulers and powers of their authority with the cross. He won the victory and, and showed the world that they were powerless. The devil is defeated. The devil has been defeated. The Bible says, resist the devil and he will flee from you. And I think Antoine said this one time. And Antoine, you said when the devil tries to come on you, you shout to that devil. You tell that devil to go. You tell it to go in Jesus' name. The Bible says, greater is he that is in you than he that is in the world. You have the power over the enemy, the Bible says. When those thoughts of doubt and thoughts of oppression and thoughts of depression try to creep in, claim the word of God. Devil, you are defeated. The, that, that, that's talking about the cross. God stripped the spiritual rulers and powers of their authority. The cross removed the power of the enemy. The devil no longer has power over you. Thank you, Jesus. Claim the victory and the power you have and tell the devil to go in Jesus' name. Tell the devil you're not welcome here. When depression comes, devil, you're not welcome. When fear comes, devil, you're not welcome. When anxiety comes, devil, you're not welcome here anymore. Tell the devil to go in Jesus' name. That's a, that's a, that's a promise, but it takes faith. I activate it by faith. Devil, go. You tell the devil to leave. He's got to go. He's got, what happened when Jesus was tempted? What did Jesus do? He quoted the word of God. Thus says the Lord. The devil, look, just one of these things should be enough to make you shout and jump. There should be joy. There should be joy in a believer. Jesus said, I have come to give you life to the full. Live the life. Experience the life that God, that God has given us. And then Jesus said in John 16, I have told you these things so that in me you may have peace. Not in the world, in Christ. In this world you will have trouble. But take heart. I have overcome the world. The world is overcoming Christ. Everything that that world tries to come against us, the Bible says we are overcomers. We are more than conquerors in Christ Jesus, the Bible says. That world cannot overtake you. We are more than conquerors, the Bible says. Christ has overcome. And because he overcame, we too shall overcome. And then Galatians 2.20 says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. Paul says, you know how you conquer the flesh? You live for Christ. You put to death the flesh. See, two people can't occupy the throne. There's only one person that can occupy the throne. It's either going to be God or the flesh. Paul understood that. So what did Paul say? I've been crucified with Christ. And it's no longer I who live, but now Christ lives in me. So Christ, Christ has to become greater and stronger than my flesh. How do I do that? I submit, I submit to the Spirit, and I resist the flesh. It's a choice. It's a decision that I make. But if you don't do that, the flesh will rob you of your joy. See, that could be one of the things that's preventing you from expressing, from expressing the joy and the, the, the abundant life that God, that God has for you. The, 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 flesh, the flesh must submit. So, Christians... There should, we should experience the abundant life at every stage of our life. It doesn't matter what we're facing. Even death, the Bible says. The Bible says Jesus even conquered death. That the, Jesus said that, that though you die in me, you'll live. That we live. 
And, you know, I was thinking about this when I was studying for this. You know, every funeral that's recorded in the Bible that Jesus attended, he raised the dead. Go back and look at, look at the funerals that Jesus went. Jesus was there. He was raising the dead. We've been resurrected, the Bible says. Our lives have resurrected in Christ. There's no fear of death. There should be great enthusiasm. The, 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 the apostles and the disciples, they were looking forward. They were looking forward to being with Christ. Not that they wanted to, to die, but they knew that death meant joy. It meant perfect peace and, and presence with Christ. There should be joy even in death. Even in death, yes, we grieve for our loved ones, but if they are in Christ, there's great joy. That's what God has done for us. So everything that stands opposed to you and, and, and you walking in their freedom and the abundant life in Christ has been removed. These things have been taken down in Jesus' name. So what is it that's preventing us from living the fullness that God... It, we just, I make a choice. I choose truth. God, this is what your word says. This is what you've done for me in Christ. Now I'll walk in the abundant life that God has for me. And, and, and again, we, we live in the same world. You have the same poles, the, the same things that are drawing you away from the Lord. Resist those things. Claim the word of God over those things. And, and, and tell God, say, God, I want to I express. The, I don't want anything hindering me or stopping me from, from living the life you've called me to live. Right? Don't you want that? I want the abundant life that, that God has for us. Look what Isaiah 61 says. This is Jesus. This was, this was prophesied in Isaiah hundreds of years before Christ came, and Jesus read this in Luke. It says, The Spirit of the Sovereign Lord is on me, because the Lord has anointed me to proclaim good news to the poor. That's us. He has sent me to bind up the brokenhearted, to proclaim freedom to the captives, and release from darkness for, for the prisoners, to proclaim the year of the Lord's favor and the day of vengeance of our God, to comfort all who mourn and provide for those who grieve in Zion to bestow on them a crown of beauty instead of ashes, the oil of joy instead of mourning, and a garment of praise instead of, instead of a spirit of despair. They will be called oaks of righteousness, a planting of the Lord for the display of his splendor. That's what Jesus came to do. And look what it says, the oil of joy instead of mourning. God wants to give some of you joy, the oil of, instead of mourning. And look, a garment of praise instead of a spirit of despair. That spirit of despair doesn't come from God. That comes from the world and from the enemy. God wants to remove the despair and give you joy, give you oil, give you gladness. See, that's what, that's what Jesus came to do. That's who we are in Christ. That's what, that's what Jesus has done for us. Now it's time for the church to walk and to live in the abundant life that God has called us to live in. I'm going to read the description and we're going to, we're going to close here. In John, in John 11, 44, and y'all know the story of Lazarus. And if you don't know the story, you need to go read, read uh, that in John uh, where Jesus, Jesus raised Lazarus from the dead um, and uh, he, had, he had been in a tomb for four days. Um, he was already in the tomb, been there. Jesus came and, and, and told Lazarus, Lazarus, come forth. The Bible says that Lazarus, Lazarus came forth. And look, in verse 44, it says, The dead man came out, his hands and feet wrapped with strips of linen and a cloth around his face. Jesus said to them, Take off the grave clothes and let him go. Some of you need to remove the grave clothes. 
to take off whatever it is that's stopping you from loving Jesus and living the full life that Christ has called you to live. And I'm believing in Jesus' name that the grave clothes are coming off today in Jesus' name. That there'll be nothing that's going to stop us. Nothing that's going to prevent us from, from living the life that God has called us to live. Amen? Amen. You can stand to your feet.